Welcome to the stlhighschoolsports.com basketball podcast. I'm your host, Dave Quedall. On this episode, we're going to push hoops to the backside and start off by talking pucks. Joe Harris covers hockey for stlhighschoolsports.com and on Thursday night found himself covering a game that everyone thought had been decided the week before. When Priory and John Burroughs got together on Thursday night, it was to replay the last few minutes of a game that was determined to have ended incorrectly after a bad call by the official. Joe's got all the details and we go into it. It's a bit convoluted, but just to say it's something unlike anything anyone in our line of work has seen in a long time. So we're going to start off talking pucks with Joe, and after we get through the John Burroughs Priory Chit Chat, we're going to go into who's the favorites in the Challenge Cup tournament this year and what it looks like for CBC, DeSmet, and some of the other powerhouses here in town as they chase the state championship. After that, Greg Upton's going to drop by to talk about what he saw on Friday night when he caught Westminster and Whitfield in a battle of two of the area's top small schools. And he also was at Jennings and McClure on Thursday night catching some North County basketball action now that the Ferguson Florissant School District is letting their teams play basketball this winter. So we've got Joe talking hockey up front, Greg talking hoops at the back. Thanks so much for tuning in. And without further ado, here's Joe Harris. I'm now joined by Joe Harris, who covers hockey, among other things, for stlhighschoolsports.com. He's been on the podcast before, but thanks again for dropping by, Joe. We have a very unique situation to talk about, and uh, well, kind of give us an idea of what we were looking at when Mid-States called both Priory and John Burroughs back to finish off what they thought was a completed game, but it was not. They restarted it for reasons uh, you're going to share with us. What was going on, Joe? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. it it's, a, it's a very unique situation. That's one of the words that, you know, I, I asked everybody last night when I was there, you know, what would you describe this? And, and, and they were having trouble figuring out words to use. And um, it it is very... Uh, it's it's a shocking decision, uh, surprising decision. Um, so basically, what happened was, uh, you know, it's the Wickenizer Cup. So, for people that aren't familiar with Mid-State's postseason uh, process, at the end of the regular season, they have a committee that gets together and they seed all the teams. The top twelve teams go to what's called the Challenge Cup, and the next sixteen go to the Wickenizer Cup. And then the uh, final eight go to the Founders Cup. So um, the Challenge Cup and the Wickenizer Cup, their first rounds are all round robin. And so the teams are are seeded and they're broken up into different divisions based on their seeds. And then they play round robin games based on that. And so um, in the Wickenizer Cup, there are... Um, like eight different divisions, I believe. And, you know, the top two teams in each division get through to the next round. Uh, so Priory and Burroughs were in the same division as uh, Holt and Zumwalt South. Uh, Priory won their first two games in round robin play. They played three games in the round robin. So they're automatically through. Burroughs, uh, comes in and they lost uh, to Holt and then they 
I'm trying to I'm trying to think backtrack here. It's a little convoluted. So basically, <laughs> the whole thing is they played prior to begin round robin play on Saturday night, and the game ended with a three to one priory win. So hold on to that, folks. <laughs> We're going to come back to that. So then they proceed to lose to Holt and then beat Zumwalt South to go one and two. The problem with that, as far as moving on, is both Holt and Zumwalt South also went one and two in that division. So then it comes down to goal differential. And so based on that, Zumwalt South was the team to advance. So let's go back to the three to one loss to Priory in the third period. And I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible because it can get very confusing. Um, about midway through the period, Priory had a player take a double minor. Um, and for you, your hockey layman's terms, double minor is like he committed two different two minute infractions and they are served one after the other. So it's four minutes and penalties. Um, a few seconds after that, another Priory player, I think, got a, another minor, a tripping penalty. So that's another two minutes. So uh, Borgia had a five-on-three power play. Burrows. I'm sorry, not Borgia. Sorry. <laughs> um, it'd be great if Borgia had a hockey team. But <laughs> um, <laughs> so Burroughs enters the five-on-three down 2 nothing. Okay, they have a two-man advantage. They score on the two-man advantage to make it two to one, and they scored with six sixteen left in the third period. Here's where it gets crazy: the referee goes to the scorer's table and tells the scorekeeper which player to release, and the scorekeeper deferred to the referee because the referee—it's the referee's game. The referee let the wrong player out of the box. Um, the goal occurred in the first part of the uh, first double minor, which means they should have knocked off the last 14 seconds of that double minor, and Burroughs should have had a still more time on the five-on-three two-man advantage. Instead, the referee let out the guy who got the subsequent tripping penalty, which knocked it down to a five-on-four, and it was clearly a mistake. And it created a what Burroughs called a competitive disadvantage because instead of having a two-man advantage, they for one thirty-eight, for a minute thirty-eight, which is an eternity in hockey, mm-hmm. um, they they had a five-on-four, which they did not score. Priory scored a goal after that to win three to one. So here's the interesting thing that I found out last night in talking to the parties involved. The referee himself went to the Burroughs side after the game and apologized, admitted the mistake, and told them that they had an avenue of appeal through Mid-States because he made the mistake. So Burroughs contacts Mid-States on that Sunday, talks to him, and basically that was the first game in pool play. They said, you know, let's kind of play this out, but here's where we're leaning if it would affect who gets through. And so, lo and behold, the whole scenario that they all end up in a one-two one record tie, it plays through. They filed the appeal on Monday night, and on Tuesday afternoon, the teams were uh, notified around noon on Tuesday that on Thursday night at seven o'clock on at South County Ice Rink, the Kennedy Rec uh, Area um, Center, that they would play the final six sixteen of the third period. And at 
they wiped out the last priority goal. It, it would start at two to one right when Burroughs had scored and Burroughs would start with a man advantage for a minute 38. So the interesting thing about this was up until then Ford Zumwalt South thought they were through. The problem with that is if Burroughs on the five on three would have scored to tie it, forget winning. If they would have tied that game and finished with a tie, they would have advanced to the next round, knocking uh, Zumwalt South out. So Fort Zumwalt South did not know the stakes even after the first games of pool play were knocked out and done. So this appeal went to mid-states, and as far as you know, they did not tell Zumwalt South this was cooking? Uh, The the, uh, person at Zumwalt South that I talked to said that they found out about it on Tuesday. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, You know, whether or not it was him that found out and that other people in the organization knew before, I don't know that. But, um, or maybe he even meant they they heard the, maybe he meant he knew about the appeal, but he heard about the ruling on Tuesday with everybody else. Sure. Either way, I mean, you know, so all of a sudden you have a team that's not even, doesn't even have skin in the game, having their playoff season. Uh, you know, hopes on the line. You have a team in the game with their hopes on the line and you playing against a team with nothing to play for in priory because um, they were already through. Yeah. Right. Right. So the big question was, you know, how's priory priory going to play this thing? I mean, even the Ford Zumwalt South coach said, you know, if they would have played their JV, not want anybody to get hurt, that, that would have been their prior, prior, you know, prerogative. They earned that, you know, but instead priory played it straight up. Um, Burroughs threw everything in the kitchen sink at Priory. Their goalie, uh, William Azrak, made several big saves during that five-on-three. Uh, he also got help from his post on one drive from Burroughs during that five-on-three. And then, as happens you know, very often in hockey, if you kill off a five-on-three, the momentum instantly shifts to your side. 17 seconds after they killed it all off, Priory scores to win by an identical three to one score. So in the end, no harm, no foul. Zumwalt South moves on. Priory moves on. Burroughs, you know, the coach was very, you know, the Burroughs coach, Clayton Burry, you know, I, I've talked with him several times. I always a joy to talk to. And he was happy that his kids, he said, got closure. You know, they were able to fight for their lives. And even though it didn't work out, you know, he was happy that they had just had the chance um, I talked to the Priory coach Jason Getz after the game. Uh, you know, he even admitted that they discussed every scenario. You know, for their their uh, uh, their team heading into that, but in the end, it was decided that they would play it straight up because they don't want to earn a bad reputation as a team that you know would would do that. And you know, they don't. You know, he he even told me you know they want karma on their side moving into the next round, mm-hmm. which that's never a bad thing to have in the playoffs. So, um, you know, Priory played it straight out, up. Uh, they fended off Burroughs. Zumwalt South and they were grateful that Priory, you know, uh, held on. So, I mean, but the reaction to this, you know, it, I've, I've talked to several people around the league, and you know, they they were it was all off record, obviously. But a lot of coaches are still scratching their heads about this decision because a lot of them are, are worried about the precedent that it sets. Um, you know, while 
the Burroughs folks are really happy that, and they were even surprised and shocked that they got the resolution they got from Mid-States. Um, other coaches are, are, are worried that this might set a dangerous precedent moving forward. Um, I had one coach you know, say, hey, look, in the nature of round robin, you know, generally going into your last game, or even, sometimes even your last two, with goal differential being a a criteria to advance, you know, not knowing the final outcome in another game could affect the way I approach that game. You know, do I pull my goalie, even if I'm up by two goals, if I need an extra goal or two, you mm-hmm. know, and they didn't, uh, their concern was zoom South did not have that information, you know, heading into their third game. So, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, and there's, there's concern about the precedent that, you know, if a team doesn't like a call, can they get it reversed? I've had other coaches say, no, the line of demarcation is a referee admitted to the mistake, and it was not a judgment call. It was a black and white rule error. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, it, the there's still some some a lot of discussion and, and fallout from that. It's really kind of interesting because we have seen in other sports where referees, officials, you know, they, I mean, Dankinger, for God's sake, in this town. Everybody knows Don Dankinger, and he knew, everybody knew he screwed up, but you don't go back and do it again. We've, I've been doing this job 20 years. I can never remember anyone ever getting something wrong in the game, much less a playoff game. And then, hold on, we made that error. Rewind it. We'll just pick it up a, a couple days later after the fact. With the mistake, we're just gonna we're just gonna take that all out of there. I just when when this kind of started to bubble up yesterday and it was circulating, it was just I, I just couldn't fathom what it was like for an organization like Mid States to to make a decision after the fact on a result. It yeah, I, I mean, we've had I, officials I, who have made mistakes who have who've told the opposing co- or a coach or or player like my bad man, I messed that up. Like that's. That's part of the right. game. That's part of it. But for the organization to to go back and and retroactively try to fix it, I just I've never seen anything like it. I'm very happy that John Burroughs folks got uh, the closure because they don't feel like they they got cheated. I think that's very important. But I just don't know, like you like you you said, the concerns about the precedent, like where where does the appeal process go? I it, I mean, if the organization is going to do this, does it plant a seed of doubt in in a referee or official's mind that if I make this call, maybe it'll get turned turned back on me? I just it it kind of opens a can of worms we've never really seen. Yeah, I mean, and I talked to Ryan Harrison, who's he's the head statistician with Mid States and uh, one of their directors, and he's been you know involved as a player and and involved in the board you know, for over a decade with mid States and he can't remember, but, uh, in his five years as a member of the board and he can't remember it, you know, as a player, he does, he did say that, you know, he, he's not sure, but maybe some, some decisions like this have been made in the past, but he, he wasn't sure about that. Um, the coaches that I talked to had never heard of it. Um, one coach though did say that he did some research when he heard the situation and that he believes the NBA of all leagues, um, and he couldn't remember the year, but uh, it was a game involving LeBron James, and the officials ruled that he had fouled out. It was a close game, 
And I think he only had five fouls instead of six and they wouldn't let him play the final minute of the game. And it's, I'm not, I can't remember which team he was on at the time or even the year, but they, the, this coach told me that the team appealed and they made them replay the last minute of the game hmm. with LeBron on the floor. And the lo and behold, with LeBron on the floor, the result changed. You know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember that story. And I think I would remember that if that happened, you know, I, I don't know, but I mean, it's, it's really, you know, been the buzz of the playoffs right now. And, uh, you know, it's, we'll see what happens as we move forward as far as any precedent or, or ramifications of this. When you were on before, Joe, talking hockey, you had mentioned that, geez, CBC's probably the team to beat. We were chatting yesterday, now that the playoffs are really rolling, you may have revised your opinion. What does what does the scene look like as the Challenge Cup is starting to really get into get into the flow? Well, don't get me wrong, CBC's still one of the main favorites heading in. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think I, uh, you know, wasn't as you know, as bullish as I should have been on DeSmet. Uh, they really showed, um, you know, a strong finish to the regular season, beating CBC twice in a row uh, in a three-day span. And, and that's unheard of um, to, to finish out the regular season. And they earned the number one seed heading into the playoffs. And they've had a phenomenal year. They are 14-3-2. and two. Um, They uh, – had a setback in their first game uh, of pool play in the Challenge Cup. They lost one nothing to a desperate Marquette team who had lost the night before to Kirkwood. Who it was a must-win situation for them, and their goalie played out of his mind. And, and that happens in hockey. But then credit to Smet. they they beat Segman in the next game, and then they beat Viani, the defending uh, state champions, uh, to move on and punch their ticket to the next round. And they've got Summit uh, starting tonight at Centene. Um, the thing with CBC is I just found out that their top sniper, Hunter Bolger, is gone for the season. I heard he broke his collarbone, and that's a huge loss. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Nobody's going to weep for CBC. They are so deep, so talented still, and they've got a, a ton of guys who can score. But Hunter Bolger was a dynamic offensive player. We're talking about a guy who was a two-time first-team all-metro player. Uh, before his senior season as a junior, he made the all Metro or the all decade team as a third teamer. And I remember in the blurb, if he would have played a senior season in the past decade, he could have been even higher on the list. So we're talking a substantial talent. And does that change the dynamic? Is CBC deep enough to overcome that loss? You know, we will find out in, the, in these playoffs. So you mentioned DeSmet's the top seed, CBC's in the mix, Vianney's the defending champ. Who else do we need to keep our eyes on in the Challenge Cup? Vianney's out. Uh, That loss to DeSmet knocked them out. So the defending champion is out. So our top two seeds are DeSmet and and CBC. And don't rest on, uh, don't sleep on this Lafayette team. I'm going to be covering them tonight uh, against Francis Howell out at the RecPlex. And they have a lot of ingredients that they can put a scare into some people. They've got a lot of dynamic scoring, and they've got a really nice goaltender in Connor Canova who can make the big save at the big time. Uh, so Lafayette's a team to watch, and uh, of course you're going to that that's going to be a really uh, interesting matchup with Hal, who's undefeated heading into these playoffs. So we're going to find out, you know, uh, where Hal's at 
in, in the echelon of, of mid-states, they come in with a 17-0-1 record. So, and they're built a lot like Lafayette. They have a lot of good scoring and great goaltending. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing game one tonight there. And then in the other matchup, uh, you have Slew and Marquette. And, you know, those are two evenly matched teams uh, with a lot of skill. And, you know, that series can go either way. And, you know, this is one of those fun years in hockey where it's, it's a little bit more wide open in the past. Like last year, we knew that, you know, it, it was probably going to be Viani and CBC in the championship. This year, we really don't know. I mean, this, this met is a solid all around team. They don't really have any weaknesses, you know, mm-hmm. but are they, you know, the 1980 Russian, you know, Soviet, you know, national team, you know, no, <laughs> but I mean, the fun thing is nobody is that this year. I mean, I, I think we're starting to see a little bit more parody in hockey uh, with all of the, the clubs and the triple A uh, teams and the, um, uh, you know, the, just all the club club play. There's Chesterfield and St. Peter's and and Afton and you know. So it, it's going to be a fun fun series. You know, if you get a hot goaltender, all bets are off. And you know, you get a a bounce or two here and there. And lo and behold, you're you're moving on. So um, you know, you, you know, it, I. I'm I'm really excited about these next couple of weeks, and we'll see who makes it out to Scott Trade. Or Wonderful. sorry, the Enterprise, the, the Enterprise Center. Now, wonderful. Well, thank you, Joe, so much for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate it. Stay safe out there. Uh, you too. Thanks, Dave. Thanks again to Joe Harris for dropping by and talking pucks. Up next, Greg Upton is going to talk about his game Friday night between Whitfield and Westminster, and his Thursday night showdown between Jennings and McClure. Right after this break. I'm now joined by Greg Upton, who spent Friday night watching Westminster and Whitfield in a ball game between two of the area's better small school teams, and on Thursday was out at McClure and Jennings for some North County action. So we're going to start with uh, Friday night's game between Westminster and Whitfield, and Greg, what was happening at your ball game tonight? Well, you had a matchup of two teams that will uh, be part of uh, one of the toughest districts you're going to find around Class 4, uh, District 5, coming up here at the end of February. Uh, it's it's a district that also includes MICDS, Priory, Normandy, and John Burroughs. I actually saw Normandy and Priory play on Wednesday, so they're both in that district as well. And then tonight you had uh, yeah Westminster going up against Whitfield, and uh, Westminster – did themselves a great favor bouncing back from their tough loss to DeBerg, which you talked about in, in your boys basketball notebook, uh, touching on the Cavaliers and, and their big win. The Wildcats still bounced back tonight in a big way and got a 59-43 win uh, over a, a pretty decent wet, uh, Whitfield squad. They, they really came out uh, early and uh, set the tone and didn't let up. They never trailed in the game. And so huge bounce back for the Wildcats. And, and it's actually, they're now 14 and four on the year and all four times they've lost the season, they've bounced back in the next game and won. So really good sign for a team that's uh, pretty much all sophomores and juniors to be able to do that. 
And Westminster was in the quarterfinals a year ago. They beat Priory in the district championship game to win their first district in a minute. So that's a group who's got some pretty high expectations of themselves. It was interesting, kind of like you'd mentioned, uh, they played DeBerg earlier this week, who who snuck out with a three-point win as uh, Westminster's desperation, not desperation, but like buzzer beater three uh, missed. And what I what really stuck out was DeBerg really out rebounded Westminster, and Westminster didn't shoot the ball particularly well that night either. Yeah. I mean, Casey Lawrence is one of the better guards in the area in the junior class. He's a big piece of that team, has been since at least last season, and he had a tough night. And they still were in the game with the at the at the buzzer with a shot to tie it. So I'm curious how how Friday night went uh, with with the Wildcats shooting the ball. I'd imagine they uh, shot a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. The the the, sh- the shooting performance was definitely better tonight, uh, for sure. I don't have the final rebounding numbers either, but just by the naked eye, I, th- I think they rebounded pretty well. Lots of one and dones for for Whitfield on the defensive end, and they did get some offensive rebounds as well. Uh, big. Big, big key to the game tonight was the play of the big man, six foot eight, Austin Vick. Came in with an average of 8.6 points per game. Blew past that in the first three minutes of the game. Ended up with <laughs> a career high 24 points tonight. Wow. Uh, his previous career high was uh, three games ago against Burroughs when he had 20. He had 16 against DeBerg the other night, so steadily he's uh, making progress. That's his, This is his ninth double digit. Uh, scoring game of the season after he had none last year as a sophomore, and he did play a lot last year as a sophomore, as did Casey Lawrence, as you mentioned, two big pieces from that team last year. Uh, but Vic has really kind of stepped up his game, and man, Casey Lawrence did a great job, and the other guards did a great job of finding Vic down low for open, easy looks at the basket. Yeah, he scored the first 12 points of the game for, for Westminster, so he had bested his average uh, by the time the game was three minutes old. Then he stayed at 12. Uh, for the rest of the first half, and then picked it up, and only had two points in the set in the uh, third quarter, but then had a big fourth quarter where he picked up ten more points to to beat that uh, that career high. But he had a big ball game, and Casey Lawrence, uh, you know, had a good game as well. He had 13 points tonight, which is right at his average, and he actually uh, had a spurt there in the third quarter. Whitfield had got it down to five right after the start of the second half on a bucket. He went on a 7-0 run by himself. He knocked down a three, then uh, hit two free throws after a technical foul, and then hit a jumper. So his 7-0 run right there turned a five-point game into a 12-point game, and, and it was really – it was never under double digits, the the – uh, deficit for Whitfield uh, after that. So really that kind of sparked them there in that third quarter. I mean, Whitfield has a lot of talents, but the one thing that they aren't blessed with this year is size. I think right. the teams that yep. that have size can can give them trouble. But then again, yep. we look at DeSmet, who's you know, a pretty good-sized team. Whitfield right. managed to knock them off on the road earlier this year. So who knows? So what uh, what was Whitfield doing to to cut into that lead and make it five? Because Coach Mike Potsu's got a a, a younger group, but uh, one he's really excited about that's cutting its teeth on the varsity. What 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 did the Warriors do to give themselves an opportunity in the fourth quarter? Yeah, they uh, they they were able to get things uh, going after they were down nine in the second quarter. Got it down uh, to actually four right before halftime before Kobe Williams hit a three-pointer with about 30 seconds to go, and it was a seven-point game at at halftime. And then uh, they they got that 
they got that lead down to five there, and then that was it. And after that, it was, like I said, not not down to double digits anymore after that. So uh, during that spurt in the second quarter, they were finally able to get some things going. Nolan Simon finally got going. He's their leading scorer. He's a se- he's one of the seniors on the team. Uh, he was held scoreless in the first half, or in the first quarter, excuse me, but he ended up with eight points in the second quarter. So he kind of helped get the Warriors back into the game a little bit there. But you're right, not a lot of size, and then just the shots weren't falling. Um, you know, my Coach Potts, who said after the game, he said, you know, we, we, we had a lot of shots that we were comfortable taking around the rim. They just weren't falling, and that was true. They just they just weren't going down uh, for the Warriors tonight. And, and when those shots don't go down, when you don't have any – you don't have a lot of big size down low, you're not going to get a lot of the easy points like Austin Vick had tonight. Sam Vestal, uh, another big guy for the Wildcats, had a couple easy lay-ins as well. And so – uh, you know they were able to hurt them in that way, and, and Whitfield just wasn't able to match it with uh, with the lack of size. So, like you said at the top, Westminster and Whitfield are in a district with MICDS, Priory, Burroughs, and Normandy. You've seen have you seen Burroughs yet? I think you've seen everybody else. Burroughs is the only one I haven't seen out of that group yet. I saw I've seen Priory. A uh, couple times a season, I, and, and I saw, saw Normandy against them. I actually caught the end of the Normandy Priory game on Saturday in the third place game at the Fort Zumwalt North tournament when Harrison Wilson got a put back at the buzzer, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to cover the rematch a couple days later to see how that one turned out, even though the records are, weren't really that close, and it ended up being a pretty good ball game. Uh, and obviously, MICDS very good. I, I did see them in their one loss against Fort Zumwalt North, an overtime loss in that tournament final, but they've looked good pretty good in the games i've covered this season um so yeah burroughs is the only team i haven't seen yet in that in that district but that's going to be an interesting one when they go to the seating meeting to see how some of those play out you figure micds has probably got that one seed locked down unless they have a total meltdown here coming up um but then you know when westminster and priory hook up you know however that season series is going to go is probably going to determine who gets the two maybe um you know and the other team will probably get the three i mean uh, westminster is obviously looking good right now priory though has had a good season too so you can see that one going either way and then the rest of it will kind of stack up as we see with burrows and, and normandy and and whitfield so should be interesting to see how that how the seating plays out in that one well i was just going to say you look at that district and just record wise i i'm i'm going to go out on a limb and say normandy's probably at this point the six seed just based on right. record but right. priory's been one of the best small schools in town and they threw a heck of a scare into them on saturday and have yeah. have played really well got a late start because they didn't yeah. get going until after january so I, I i really think this postseason i mean this district is loaded top to bottom <laughs> yeah. but just in general yeah. is going to be right. as more of a free-for-all than we've necessarily seen in the past i i would not be surprised if normandy found a way to make sure knock somebody off nor would i be surprised yep. if john burroughs did either with coach Corey frazier right. and a group he's yeah. got he's got tyson ford on that team right. who, who's a d1 football commit who's a really nice basketball player so this is that's going to be quite the battle royale in that that class four district um, between Westminster, Whitfield, MICDS, Priory, John Burroughs, and Normandy. So, speaking of North County basketball, we mentioned you were at McClure and Jennings. Jennings is getting as many games under their belt as they can. They are filling in for Webster Groves on Saturday to play Cardinal Ritter, who at the 
across, I don't know, CBC and Cardinal Ritter put together a showcase this year to try and get it going for the future. And I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But cross conference, I think cross conference, uh, cross conference champions uh-huh. showcase yeah, yeah, challenge, yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. I I don't know. They should go with they should go with cross country or cross. Uh, I'm sorry, cross conference champions challenge. All C's very alliterative there with all C all C's all but, the you know, C's. That's, that's so, just me. So Jennings is very available and <laughs> yeah. trying to play as many teams as they can. They they played Chaminade kind of as, as a. Chaminade had an opening. They had an opening kind of deal. So uh, what what did you see Thursday when McClure and Jennings hooked up? Well, Jennings has got a, a really nice one-two punch uh, with their seniors, uh, Demarion Shanklin and, and Carl Moore. And those two had a, had a heck of a ball game last night against McClure. I mean, they combined for 59 points. It, it was a high-scoring game. I mean, 84-76. Wow. Uh, I think that was easily the highest-scoring game I've seen uh, this season uh, when you put the two point two uh, teams combined. What's that, 160 points? But uh, Shanklin and, and Moore combined for, for 59 of those points. Shanklin had 31 uh, including seven three-pointers, and Moore had, had 28. So, and that was a one-off. Both of them were actually one-off their career high. Shanklin had 33 uh, last season and, and more against Urbana, and Moore had uh, 29 a couple of years ago against U-City when he was a sophomore. So good one-two punch because Moore's a big man down low. Uh, he's Led the area in blocks last post. year. Yeah, yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna get the, the ball. They're gonna feed him down in the post when they can, and then Shanklin can obviously – uh, dial it up from outside when he when he knocks down seven three pointers. Um, so and 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 he did it last year too. I mean he would hit it. He had nineteen and a half points per game last season, and and more averaged a double double last season in, in points and rebounds. So they've been doing it for a couple of years now, and they're the guys that they kind of. Uh, that coach Danny Thomas is kind of leaning on a little bit um, to help guide the rest of the team. Uh, they do have six seniors, but those are the two that lead the way, you know, uh, output wise. And, and, and they've been uh, kind of leading the way. So uh, they, they, they've, uh, they've, they've got a nice little ball club there. They're, they're off to a slower start two and three, but like you said, they lost to Chaminade. They lost a couple of close games before that. Played a really good uh, Eureka team. Yeah. yeah. Single digits in those games. And so, um, you know, they'll be, they'll be right there at season's end when, you know, have what, maybe 10, 12 games under their belt. Some, some of that, that ilk maybe before they hit districts. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll be, uh, they'll be all right. And then on the flip side of that, obviously McClure was playing its first game of the season and, uh, you know, Gerald Fulton to, to make matters worse of the 15 players he had on the roster last season, 10 of them were seniors, including yeah. his top three scorers. So, not only are you getting a late start, but you're getting a late start trying to integrate a bunch of new players into a system. You know, yeah, you've been able to do a little practice, but even then they, you know, they had a late start with practice. So got off to a nice start last night uh, in the game, actually led early on. And, and you know, 76 points, uh, you'll take that any day offensively. Now, obviously, you got to work on the defense a little bit when you give up 84. But um, they've got some nice pieces. Uh, when you look at a guy like uh, Montez Roberson, he's a transfer from Trinity. He's a senior, came in, and he lit it up last night for 23. He had six three-pointers, and he, he had a great-looking touch. You know, uh, Coach Fulton, after the game, said, I think he's one of the best shooters in the state. And, and you know, I, it's hard to argue with him when I, when I saw him shoot the ball. I mean, it was a really nice touch. He, he did a really good job. Uh, you know, another guy, John, John Baker, uh, he, he had 21 points last night. He only had 12 all last season. Him, uh, Aeneas Futrell, 
uh, and Dennis Keys are the three guys who were back from last season uh, that that did any scoring, and they all had pretty good ball games. Fatrell had 13, and, and Keys had 12. I mean, they, they only had five guys score, and they had 76 points, so they had four guys in double digits. So they'll be all right. They'll, they're just kind of have to obviously get things going. I didn't. I know they played Marquette tonight. Didn't see how that game turned out for them. Uh, conference game for them uh, at home uh, tonight. So you know they're just trying to get off the schneid, and just they're just thankful, like like he said we're, we're just thankful to be out there and, and playing both coaches actually after the game or just hey we're, we're we're glad we're grateful to be out here playing and 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 just see how, how the chips fall and they're part of a those two are district rivals now as well yep. in class five with mcclure mcclure north jennings and hazelwood east all being grouped together riverview gardens was included but as far as anybody can tell they're not playing sports this yep. year um, I, I've reached out to their public relations people. I was told that official decision has not been made, but the Missouri State High School Activities Association doesn't list Riverview in a district for basketball this year, so I think that decision has been made. They just don't want to talk about it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with McClure, who's got some nice pieces. McClure North, who's generally pretty salty. A Jennings team that's like you talked about, has really got some nice pieces. And Hazelwood East, who started up last week and is you know kind of curious to see what can happen so uh some new blood maybe here in the postseason uh coming out of north county yeah and jennings already knocked off hazewood east that's their one win on the season and so you could yeah so you could see uh they're hard charging to that one seed yeah yeah, so so you know, yeah, with with wins over a couple of the teams that are in their district already, um, you know, where that bodes well for them, uh, and we'll see how it kind of shakes out. But because you're going to have some team, you're, the, it'll be another case where you're going to have teams all in that district who are only going to have what maybe eight to 10 to 12 games on the resume to try and sort out once you get to the seeding meeting. So having these head-to-head wins is obviously going to help the Warriors in, in that case. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Greg, as always. We appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. 